0: Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. The evidence is overwhelming that in our schools today the successful curriculums are those that are directed towards deeper learning, project-based learning, and social-emotional learning. Learners that feel empowered and hands-on that collaborate and learn empathy are the ones who seem to excel academically. So why shouldn't the same be true of parenting? The recent cheating scandal certainly shows the other extreme. What happens amidst helicopter parenting run amuck of parents not having faith in the innate ability and independence of their kids. Maybe you don't have to let your 11 or 12 year old fly off to France and change planes by themselves, but giving them responsibility at home from a young age is essential. Few people understand this better than my guest, Esther Wojcicki. Esther understands not in some abstract white paper kind of way but by having raised three incredibly successful daughters, Anne, the co-founder of 23andMe, Susan, the CEO of YouTube, and Janet, who's a distinguished doctor and professor of pediatrics. Esther, in her own right, has an amazing success story, a formidable voice on behalf of journalism and media literacy. She is the founder of the Media Arts Program at Palo Alto High School and serves as Vice Chair of Creative Commons. She was instrumental in the launch of Google Teacher Academy and is the author of a new book entitled How to Raise Successful People Simple Lessons for Radical Results. Esther Wojcicki, thanks so much for joining us.
1: I'm honored and thank you very much for including me.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. You have been an aspiring journalist and a teacher of journalism for a long time. Talk a little bit about how that and your curiosity, a great curiosity about the world, has informed how you approach both teaching and parenting.
1: Yes, I am very curious about the world, and I think most kids are curious about the world to start. And then school somehow educates that curiosity out of them. And I think, unfortunately, parents go along with that because they're really worried about their kids, quote, doing well, unquote, in school. And doing well means doing exactly what the teacher requests and what the homework requests. So my theory is that you really need to allow your children to have some freedom um, and reinforce their curiosity. Give them opportunities to do things that are um, actually outside the box, but not just on electronic devices. So, I mean, there's a lot, just remember, there's a lot in the world besides that computer or cell phone or whatever it is they're using. Um, Interacting with their peers, you know, going places, just, just hanging out around the house and trying to figure out, like, what's exciting. Being bored doesn't, isn't bad, actually, because it leads to creativity. So those are just a few of my ideas, and um, it's expanded quite a bit in this book that I wrote.
0: Right. Talk, talk a little bit about the independence on the one hand and also the responsibilities that you gave your girls growing up.
1: So there's a lot of things that you can do to make your child feel responsible. And there's a lot in the house. Just think about all the things that you're doing. You might, there's a lot of things that you could possibly delegate to them. So one of the things that you know I delegated on a regular basis was just things like cleaning up after you're done every day playing with your toys. And I made it into a fun activity that we were all doing or cleaning up after dinner you know we all do it together um, th- I mean that sounds kind of you know simple and maybe uh, too simple maybe not easy to do or I-, I don't know but I'll tell you your child has to feel responsible for some part of their life and their daily life and you are the parent can help that happen And so what I did, for example, with Susan, who was 18 months old, she became a live baby monitor. So we have a two-story house. It couldn't hear from the upstairs to the downstairs. So she was responsible for telling me whenever Janet was crying. And, I mean, today we have baby monitors. But, you know, I'll tell you, she did a great job, and she felt super proud of herself at 18 months old. And that set the stage for her for doing other things. You know, when they when Janet was crying, she would go over and get a rattle and then shake it for her. Or later on, you know, they both of them uh, were helping with the laundry. They would sort things. They thought that was fun. Um, it actually is fun. You know, they were sorting the socks or all sorts of, you know, different parts of the laundry. So um, what you're doing by giving children just a small amount of responsibility and then letting it grow, is you are empowering them. They think instead of like having you have to do everything, they realize, oh, you know, I can do things too, you know. I'm smart and I'm going to help out. And I think that's important for parents to realize that when you let kids do little things, it gets to be, you know, perhaps more little things. And the, those little things give them a sense of accomplishment. And I've, it also helps you, by the way. Um, so I recommend it.
0: <laughs> what did you see other parents doing? Did you see them taking the same approach or a more helicopter parent approach, particularly in the in the Stanford world that, that you live in?
1: Well, I actually saw um, other parents taking a more helicopter approach or a more I can... I'm better at doing this, and so, therefore, I'm going to do it because it's just more expedient. Um, you know, I—I I was, it was, in my case, there was no help. So I was, you know, the housekeeper, the cook, the mother, the gardener. You know, the, that was it because we're an academic family, and, you know, we had resources but not many. And so I thought, well, let's see what my number one, People can do to help me, and my number one people just happened to be really small, but it turns out that they were pretty capable, um, and so that that gave them a sense of community and support, and you know, your mommy's helper all the time. And I mean, I when we went shopping, they also helped because you know, a mother with three small children, normally, um, that normally I think most of those kids are put in the shopping cart. (laughs) In my case, my kids were my helpers. I would say things like, go and pick the cereals for this week. Or, you know, go and... There's these different kinds of um, fruit or apples or oranges or whatever. And, you know, you get to pick what we're having in terms of fruit for the week. And no, this is not a good apple. Can you see it has like a big bruise on it? Take a look and see if you can find the right apple. So, I mean, it sounds trivial, but these little things add up because it's like, mommy trusted me, you know, and I'm part of, you know, I'm part of helping out and making sure that everything is, that we're having, you know, the food that we need for the week. Um, you know, everything that we did, I included them as part of the planning process or part of the helping process um including, like, where would we like to go on Saturday? We have, we have time on Saturday to go and visit, you know, different places in San Francisco. What do you think would be the best place to go? And we didn't have the Internet back then, unfortunately. Um, but we did have, you know, little brochures and things like that, and they could look at pictures, and they're like, let's go wherever. And then, you know, they, of course, picked different parks. I think we saw every single park in San Francisco, um, but you know, it's fine with me. You know, I was that was, that made them again excited to travel. They loved going places on the weekend. Um, so th- those are just a few of the ideas yeah. of things that I did.
0: Would it have been any different, do you think, if you had sons or a mixture of sons and daughters? In
1: my perspective, it wouldn't have been any different because one of my goals at the very beginning was that I'm going to treat my children, whether they're girls or boys, exactly the same and give them these same opportunities. So one thing I consciously did is I never bought ever Barbie dolls. Never. Um, Their toys initially were things like blocks. We had a set of wooden blocks. I bought Legos, Legos. Puzzles. They were doing puzzles really early. Actually, I loved those puzzles. So it's hard to believe, but I still have them. I didn't get rid of those puzzles. Um, crayons, coloring, um, large muscle activities, catching balls, you know, throwing balls. I mean, those are the kinds of things that that we did most of the time. We had a swing set they I would swing both of them it was just out in the backyard, a little swing set, and then for a while after they learned how to do it, then Susan would push Janet, you know, so I'd put Janet in the swing set, and Susan would take care of Janet, and then when Anne came along, you know all three of them, so i didn't they entertained each other um and that was my goal as I wanted them to be in charge of their own entertainment. I was not the chief entertainer. I was a facilitator. And um, parents need to remember that kids can be really good at entertaining themselves if they're given that opportunity. And I'm talking about entertaining themselves in a positive way because I know what parents say about, oh, no, you know, you don't want them to do this and that or whatever. Of course, they can get into trouble. But, um, you know, if you set a path, if you give them an opportunity to do things that you consider, you know, good for them. Um, it's fine. They would, they had chalk, they would draw on the, on our back patio all the time. Um, then they would invent little games, hopping, skipping, I don't know what they were doing. Um, then, oh, the other thing I did is have pets. We had, um, a dog, his name was Truffle, and they were responsible for taking care of Truffle. Truffle was quite entertaining. Um, and then, at some point, we also go, got cats. We had a lot of pets. And they were busy taking care of the pets. Um, you know, I basically put them in charge of a lot of things. And, you know, okay, sometimes the pets won't get the right food. But, you know, eventually they did.
0: <laughs> did they have a sense, did the girls have a sense that, that their house was different than some other houses? That they had more freedom, more independence, and more responsibility?
1: Yes, they felt that their house would give them more responsibility and more freedom. actually had a friend, um, this was Ann's friend, um, whose mother also had exactly the same philosophy. So Ann felt very comfortable going over there because when dinner was over, the parents always sat and rested in the living room, and the kids were responsible for cleaning up the dishes and doing the dishes. And it was like a little team effort. There were, there were a total of four little girls or five little girls, including two of, one or two of my daughters, and they would do everything. And I mean, kids can do it if you give them the opportunity. In today's world, we have a lot of help and um, you know people that help you take care of all this, which makes it efficient but then doesn't give kids that opportunity to be part of the helping crew.
0: And you've carried that same philosophy into the classroom, and it has really worked well in terms of the success of your students and also the desire of so many students to want to be part of your class. Talk about that.
1: That's right. So this is all part of my program where I teach media, and we have newspapers, magazines, television, radio, um, podcasts. We do everything in social media, so that they can learn how to do it. So I'll just give you an example. In the newspaper program, the kids come up with their own ideas for what they want to write about. The editors, there's five editors-in-chief, they are the ones who assign the stories to the kids to write the stories. So I, I'm the collaborator. I'm the support. I, I don't, I'm not the one that tells them what to do. They do it on their own. And if you take a look at the newspapers, you'll, you'll think it's produced by a professional group, but it's actually all produced by 15 to 18-year-olds who feel empowered. And in the process of doing this, this gives them a sense of accomplishment. They see the result of their work, and they see that the, you know, we win gold crowns, silver crowns from Columbia. It's the top of the nation. And they realize they can do it, and they can do it on their own. Of course, I'm there for support, and I have another teacher, Rod Satterweight, who's also there for support um, because his class is really big. It's like over 60 kids. And But they self-organize. They're in little groups. If you come in, you would see large groups of students working independently and the teacher, you know, walking around occasionally, sitting there, talking to a few kids who want to talk to them. Um, We are a resource. We don't dictate. And um, we keep the kids, you know, make sure that they're aligned with what we call the ethics of journalism. We're very careful about that. But overall, they are in charge. And this sense of accomplishment, this sense of I can do it, spreads to their other classes and spreads to their life. So they tend to be really empowered in general. And empowered kids, kids who have control, tend to be at peace with themselves. Um, they're, they're, not, they're, not doing, they're not upset about the world because they feel like they have control in their world. So I, I recommend it for all classes, all teaching. Give kids an opportunity to be in charge of their learning. So I have this... Philosophy that's come out in this um, uh, nonprofit I started called globalmoonshots.org. And what I'm saying in that is give students 20% of the time in school, that's in school, not out of school, not after school, 20% of the time in school to control the learning that they are doing. And either it can be done on a school wide basis or it can be done in an individual class basis so that they feel that they have some control of what it is that they're learning in that class. So for example, it could be a social studies class where they get together and talk about issues that they care about and perhaps write a blog about it. it could be a science class, it could be a math class about like, so what it, they can do apps. There's a program called the app inventor at MIT. It's free and it, Give students an opportunity to use the math they learned on creating apps that they can perhaps sell on the Android platform. So there's opportunity in all subject areas. And so we don't just have to lecture to our kids and then make them take a test on what we said. We can give them an opportunity to be creative and think of ideas or things that they want to do with the subject it is that they're studying. That's my latest and most recent goal.
0: What do you see from kids today that come into your class, particularly at a place like Palo Alto High School, that come from that helicopter parenting world, and that that really are are set in a different world by virtue of this responsibility and freedom and, and what they have to take on in your class
1: well let me tell you at the beginning beginning journalism when they first take the initial class the hardest thing they say there is to do because they could, and survey them at the, during the class the hardest thing is coming up with their own ideas they say that's number one because they are used to being told what to do they're used to being given like here we want you to write an essay here are three choices. You pick which one you want, A, B, or C. When I, we give them an opportunity to write about what they want to write about, there are no choices. It's like, here's the world, right? You pick about these ideas that you want to write about, especially for feature articles. That's just really tough for them. Um, and that's what they complain about. But I say, you know, you've got to do this because this is, this is what the world's all about. And the very first assignment they have is kind of a question man assignment where they have to pick a question that they want, then have to go out and ask 30 people, 30, that they don't know around the campus. Not their friends, not their parents, but people they don't know. And that is also really hard for them because they're not used to talking to people they don't know and they're afraid to come up with the question. They're like, what's a good question? So I'll tell you, at the end, they do a really great job, and they become much more confident about talking to people uh, that they don't know and on the campus and asking questions that, you know, they've come up with on their own. It's an incredible self-confidence builder. Um, So that's one thing. And then by the time they're in the advanced program, they have no problems doing this. And by the time they're seniors, because they start as 10th graders, they're in total control. And as I said, the teachers just are sitting by the side, making sure that everybody's okay.
0: One of the other things that you talk about with respect to parenting, with respect to your girls, and also in the classroom, is this sense of being a part of a larger community of caring, empathy about the world at large. Talk about how important that was to you as a parent and how important you think it is today and the degree to which it's missing so much today.
1: It's so important as a parent for you, to, your family to feel as a sense of community, a sense that you can go to your family and you can tell them what your problems are and they're going to support you. And that's one thing that my daughters always said that they could always tell me whatever it was that they wanted to, and I would never get upset and mad. And of course, sometimes things upset me, but you know, we always worked it out together, whatever it was that happened. So it was a really strong sense of community and family, and we still have that today. And in the classroom, that's exactly what I build it's a sense of community. So they feel there's, as I mentioned, huge classes. And there's 700 kids in this program divided into multiple publications. And there's seven other teachers also, all supporting, all teaching in the same style. So all these groups, all these kids feel like if they can't get their story or they don't know what they're doing or, you know, the, the resource, the people they're supposed to contact won't call them back or can't get an appointment, They all support each other. They all help each other. And just like right now, today, we have uh, the the papers in, in production. This is what we call it. They're in the process of doing it. We have our lead story. The number one story on the front page had to be completely changed because the whole situation changed. And so, you know, it's tough. They have to rewrite the whole story. They have to find another picture. They have to figure out what they're doing. They all have to work together as a team. And they do it. And being part of this team makes them feel close to each other. And they become sort of like the family. The Campanile is the name of the newspaper. They become like the Campanile family. Or some of the magazines, Verde family. They all become part of a large group of kids working together on a common project. And all the publications together feel like they're part of a big family. It's the journalism program at Pali. And um, that is really important for kids to feel they have support in anything, because maybe it isn't in journalism. Maybe you need help in your math class, or maybe you're having something going on in your personal life that you need help for. Those They have resources. They have friends. They feel like they've got somebody they can rely on. So many kids today and so many other programs feel like they're isolated, that they don't have any friends. And that's one of the problems. We need to make them feel like they're part of a community, that they're all there to support each other. So that's what we build here. And that's what I'd like to see being built in other schools around the country, a sense of a sense of compassion and community. And that goes to my book, this trick acronym that's in my book trust, respect, independence, collaboration and kindness trick. That's what I say is behind all social emotional learning, behind all the skills that we want kids to have. Trust in themselves, trust their friends, respect for themselves. That is so important. Treat give them independence let them collaborate, and most of all, treat them with kindness. We all make mistakes. And that's what school's for, making mistakes. You learn through your mistakes. And we have a system in many places where mistakes are really penalized. We have to change that. And remember that you know kids learn through mistakes. Let them, if they do a bad job on their essay or do a bad job on their science test or math test or whatever, let them take it again. You know, it's mastery that we're after, and we're not, we're not allowing that to happen in many
0: schools. How horrifying is it to see what's gone on, for example, in this recent cheating scandal, which is really just sort of the tip of the larger iceberg in terms of helicopter parenting and, and an approach that is, that is 180 degrees antithetical from, from what we've been talking about?
1: So that cheating scandal is horrible. Um, It's horrible for the most part because those children whose parents did that on their behalf, the number one thing it says to those kids is, I don't believe in you. I don't trust you. You need help to be able to succeed in the world. That's the last thing you want to do for your kids. The idea is to empower them. They can do it. So if they didn't go to the Ivy League school, they went to a second school or a third school or whatever, how they do at that school is more important than what the name of the school is. And so it's it's tragic, it's tragic for the parents because the parents they thought they were doing something really helpful for their kids. They thought they knew they were cheating, which is why they're, you know, admitting to guilt uh, or uh, Pleading guilty, Um, but they their their aspirations for their kids should have been: I'm going to support you no matter what you want to do. And okay, you have poor test scores. Let's see what we can do to help you get better test scores. And if even if you don't have the world's greatest test scores, there's a lot of schools. There's thousands of colleges out there, and you can do it in in a legal way, in a way that we believe in you and trust you and you know practice makes perfect let them do whatever it is they want to do without being a dictator and telling them what they should do that's a terrible scandal we hope that this does not happen anywhere else ever again Um, because as I have mentioned the victim the victims are the kids and we don't want that to happen.
0: And, and finally, Esther, talk about how your three daughters feel about you writing about this and putting this philosophy of, of what went on as they grew up out there for the world to see.
1: Well, they were a little shocked, to be honest. They're like, Mom, what kind of book are you writing? What, about us and about our childhood? Hmm, I don't know about that. But... Um, then when I explained you know, the purpose of this book, the purpose is really to improve education and to improve parenting. They, they're on board. They actually wrote the foreword to the book. And they believe in the way that they were brought up. That's what they're doing with their children. They think it's really important in today's world. So they support it. They support me. They support the book. They're happy that I've done it. Um, But like I said, initially, they were like, oh, my God, what is she telling about? But some of the stories, you know, I told the story about um, how they sold lemons up and down the street. You know, this was something that they came up with. My neighbor had a lemon tree that had too many lemons. And the question is like, what to do with all the lemons? And my daughters just happened to be there. And they're like, well, we'll pick the lemons and then we'll sell them. And so that's what happened. They picked the lemons and they went up and down the street and they sold lemons. And they got to be known as the lemon girls. And then they took the money that they earned. I've forgotten how much they were selling the lemons for, but not much. And they went to the local five and dime store. And they used to spend like hours there agonizing about what they were going to buy with their proceeds. Um, It all worked out really well. So... Yes, those are the stories that I've told about their childhood. And there's lots of them. And then there's lots of stories about my students and about my teaching and about, you know, what's going on in in the education world. So, yeah, it's it's a book full of stories. It's pretty entertaining, actually.
0: Esther Wojcicki, the book is How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results. Esther, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: It's a pleasure, and I wish everybody good luck in the parenting and remember the trick model. It works.
0: All right. Esther Budziski, thank you so much.